Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 22 of the Great Canadian BJJ Show. As you know, I'm your host, Josh Presley, and today I'm joined by the CEO of Rogue Grappling, Chris Jessel. We had a great chat about Rogue, BJJ and B, some amateur wrestling talk, and when you should teach white belts leg locks. If you enjoy the show and you want to support, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to me on YouTube and Instagram at PresleyBJJ where I post lots of clips of techniques and what's going on in my classes or buy one of my t-shirts. Contact me for details. Also, I have lots of techniques videos available to purchase on presleybjj.teachable.com. Finally, the next Rogue event is coming October 9th and it has recently been relocated to Sussex, New Brunswick. Check out smoothcomp.com for more details on that event. Now let's get into the show. So my guest today is a purple belt out of MXT. He's one of the founders and the CEO of the maritime grappling promotion known as Rogue Grappling, Chris Jessel. Yep. Thanks uh, very much for having me, Josh. Good to be here. No worries, brother. Uh, how, how's it going today? Were you able to train or get any workouts in today? Uh, you know what? I, uh, uh, my, my regular routine on Monday, Wednesday, Friday is kettlebells. So I got my kettlebells in before I went to the office today. And tonight I'm just going to kick back and read a book and, and enjoy myself. What's your training schedule looking like these days and like week to week? Like how many times do you figure you're, you're getting on the mats and, uh, and rolling and doing jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so I'm I'm really glad you're asking that question this week as opposed to three weeks ago because I, I just kind of buckled down and got into a, a more serious program. Um, I uh, I train jujitsu at uh, MXT West uh, Sundays and Tuesdays, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday I have uh, a pretty strict kind of kettlebell routine that I follow. Um, I do a bit of running on Saturdays. I either do the, uh, uh, just like on a treadmill or go outside there for anywhere from, you know, three to five K kind of thing, just a, a active recovery bit. Um, or I get out and I do the, uh, the beat test. I'm not sure if you ever had to grind through those in high school or anything, but, uh, uh it's one of those kind of shuttles you go back and forth and you got to beat the beep as long as you can. Um, and then, uh, on, uh, Tuesdays, um, Tuesday, I also have a kind of a dedicated reading day where I try to make sure I at least get, you know, 60 minutes worth of reading in. Oh, nice. That's interesting. I feel like I got to gotta add that into my routine. I feel like I, the only time I get dedicated reading time is when I'm like on vacation or kind of away doing something, which is, which is like rare nowadays. I've just been into the, the Hicks and Gracie breathe biography. Did you get a chance to read that? No, but uh, my coach, Professor Meehan, just bought that. Uh, and I actually just picked up um, David Goggins' uh, Can't Hurt Me. So we're going to, we're going to swap at the, when we finish those two books. So that's actually next on my list. That one. So are you into it? Like how are you liking it so far? Yeah, I'm probably, probably just over halfway through. It's really interesting, man, especially if you're a fan of Hicks and Gracie or if you didn't know who he was, it would just be cool to kind of understand the legend. Um, it started out in, in his early days in Brazil when he was growing up and, and kind of getting into jiu-jitsu as a teenager. And, and now it's at the point where he's basically kind of done doing jiu-jitsu competitions and he's looking to get into Valley Tudo. So he only had one or two big fights in Brazil. So I'm just kind of at that point. But it's, it's really interesting. Like when I would have started – doing jujitsu Hicks and Gracie was really popular and stuff online, but like there wasn't really a whole lot of footage of him rolling or competing or anything. So it was just kind of this, this myth out there and like a popular thing to say in jujitsu forms back then was like Hickson by armbar, Hickson by armbar. That's what people would always say for like three matches, even if it didn't involve Hickson. So to me, it's cool. He's like a, he's like a Jedi of the sport and you're getting to read about, about what it was really like for him. 
Yeah. So it's one thing like I, I, I try to alternate from like kind of fiction or nonfiction or like, like biographies or something along those lines. And I find those are often the best stories because you, you can't make that stuff up. Um, the, the true life history of people is often way more compelling and way more interesting than if you and I put our heads together and tried to invent something. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've always been kind of drawn to biographies even before I was, I was really into, uh, into doing jujitsu. So what about, uh, it's, you're getting back into your kind of regular training routine now. I mean, everyone's been kind of affected by, by COVID differently, but how was your, your training and your gym affected over like the last 12 to 18 months of like the, the COVID times? Yeah. So we, we were actually really lucky all things considered in, uh, in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, we only really had any kind of material lockdown for, uh, for a number of weeks. Um, we did have a couple interruptions where the center where, uh, where we rent from um, kind of want to put a pause on us and just kind of let some case counts and the public health updates kind of roll through. But generally speaking, um, it's been pretty consistent training the whole way. Um, just, you know, we had to observe pretty, pretty strict kind of guidelines inside. Like you could only have one training partner. You had to, you know, stick in your designated little corner of the, of the mats. We had everything kind of partitioned off with tape. Um, but, you know, you, you did what you had to do to comply with the order and, and make sure you got out there and had that stress relief and that, uh, that experience with, uh, with your teammates. So, um, you know, it wasn't ideal, but uh, if it was the choice of, of getting out there and training or kind of sitting on the couch and just lamenting COVID, I mean, the choice was pretty clear. Oh, definitely. Like you said, you do what you got to do. If you love jujitsu and you're passionate about it, you're, you're going to find a way to do it. Even if it's just one other person, like it's, that's better than training with nobody at all. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny you say that because during, during the first kind of stretch of, uh, of lockdown, we did have, um, you know, a period where all the clubs were, uh, were closed here, but there was a, a group of us that, uh, we would call it kind of the secret purple basement. And, uh, <laughs> we got out there and we, uh, we kept rolling. There was, there was just, um, you know, kind of four or five of us, but, uh, you know, Josh Blanchard and Pat Foley and Katie Foley and a, a couple of the MXG purple belts, Tim Sear, um, you know, we all uh, just kind of snuck out there and, and try to get our rounds in however we could. Yeah, it's what you got to do, man. Um, I'd like to talk to you about Rogue Rapplin, but before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about where, where you grew up? Did you grow up in New Brunswick and did you play any sports when, when you were a kid and growing up? What age did you become interested in, in martial arts? Tell me that kind of story. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was, uh, I was born in, uh, the Mecca of Lower Coverdale, New Brunswick. I spent most of my life in uh, in Moncton. Uh, moved to St. John about 15 years ago on on a two year plan, but I've been here ever since. Um, I uh, I first got introduced into uh, martial arts with uh, with freestyle wrestling around grade four or grade five at my elementary school in Moncton. Um, so I uh, I wrestled from grade four right on through the end of high school. Um, took a break. I didn't go to, uh, you know, pursue post-secondary right away or anything. So at that stage, I kind of uh, fell off of it for, uh, for a lot of years. Um, but over, uh, you know, over the course of my academics, I, I played a lot of soccer or football, depending how, you, what nomenclature you want to use. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I just, I always, I always try to be at least somewhat active. Um, when I, uh, when I wrapped up my, my wrestling career kind of at the end of grade 12, um, honestly, I just, like most people I fell into the trap of, uh, kind of getting lazy and complacent and quite frankly, getting a little bit fast. 
Um, so by the time I was in my, uh, my late twenties, I, I decided for whatever reason, the light just came on. I said, man, I got to get out there and do something. And I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in going out and playing soccer and like a, like a club league or anything. Like I wanted to do something, um, I guess a little bit more, uh, I want to say more challenging, but more motivational to myself and my, my headspace at the time. Um, and I just got lucky. I, uh, I Googled uh, jujitsu and I found uh, Professor John Kelly via a Kijiji ad um, seven years ago and is the only club I, uh, I went to. They had a couple that were operating in St. John at the time, but we've been, we've been tight and good friends ever since. And I, I couldn't have asked for a, you know, a better outcome. I got incredibly lucky with the academy I found. The, uh, the team and the, the group there are just uh, top shelf across the board. Um, so like I say, it was more, uh, more a matter of I wrestled for a long time and then I, I had a long kind of layoff where I wasn't doing anything uh, but drinking beer and eating nachos. And then it was time I had to get out there and kind of do something with my ass back into shape and I, I just got lucky. That's, uh, that's awesome. So, so you had wrestled for, for quite a few years. You said grade four to grade 12. You were out of it for a little while. So you were, you were somewhat familiar with grappling. You kind of, in your headspace, kind of going in for your very first official jiu-jitsu class. Were you, were you a guy that thought because you wrestled, you were, it was going to be a piece of cake? Or did you think you were going to get humbled right away? What were you thinking going in and what was it like the first class? Yeah, so that's, that's a very memorable experience. Um, I, I didn't have any illusions after being, you know, nine years removed from the sport that I was going to go in there and muscle memory was going to save me. I knew I was going to have some difficulty, but I, I did have an element, a chip on my shoulder where I thought, you know, I'm probably going to be at least okay when I, I walk in there. Um, and of course it's, it's true. If, if all you've ever done is, uh, is either Greco or Olympic freestyle wrestling, um, you know, the, the whole goal is to make sure your shoulders are never exposed to the mat. Um, so when you're, uh, when you're kind of a little guy like me and I know kind of you and I have a pretty similar, uh, kind of shape, Josh, like, you know, when you're going there and you're rolling against a guy, uh, who's more experienced, who's got 50 pounds on you and they put you on your back, it's, it's pretty hard to resist, especially when they're skilled and you're not. Um, so it was one of those, one of those things where I had to learn how to deprogram myself and just accept the fact that, um, you know, your shoulders are going to be on the mat. It's not the end of the world. And eventually, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time with your back on the mat. So you got to find out how to, how to be comfortable and, um, you know, how to learn to, uh, to attack and survive and escape and, and, and adapt. Um, so it was, uh, it was not that I expected to be, um, uh, you know, humbled, but it was a very humbling experience. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Cause I've, I've really been into watching a lot of uh, freestyle and a little bit of Greco wrestling from the Olympics. I was right into that and just trying to learn the the sport and the rules and whatever. So, and just like you said, if you're a wrestler or a judo player too, like you don't want to get pinned because a pin like that ends the match. It's over. That's it's, there's no more, but in jiu-jitsu, a lot of times that's just the beginning when, when your back's pinned to the floor, or even if you're in a bad position in side control, you can kind of just relax, catch your breath, wait for the guy to make a move and then try to escape. But if that was a wrestling match, like the match is over as soon as your shoulders hit, hit the mat. So it's, it's interesting how it just kind of gives you a different frame of reference and different perspective where if like, if you're a wrestler, you're like, no matter what, don't get pinned to the, your back pinned to the floor, but that will expose you in other ways. I mean, as you know. Yeah. So it's it really, really challenging to uh, kind of break that programming because you could just hear all your wrestling coaches over the years, just screaming bridge, bridge, bridge. And you just, you, you just got to be, okay with it you know you're gonna get you're gonna get smushed you're you're gonna be flat on your back 
And uh, you're just going to have to have to learn not to panic in that scenario because to your point, like it's, it's not the end of your day if your shoulders are on the mat for two seconds. Yeah, 100%. And did you, were you able to compete or did you compete at all when you were, when you were doing wrestling? Oh yeah. It's actually, it's one thing that was really quite shocking to me when I, I moved to St. John um, and I say Josh Blanchard's one of the, the first guys I met through, uh, through MXT at the time we were actually Sia Polista was uh, the club's name then. Um, but he was, uh, he was a wrestler as well. And he's a few years younger than me. So like we never, you know, we never met at, uh, at any competitions or anything, but um, like wrestling in Moncton actually has a number of schools with, you know, pretty well funded teams. Um, you know, I, I wrestled for Harrison Tremble, uh, Moncton high had, uh, had a team, McNaughton had a team. Now, I mean, we had tournaments, uh, you know, all over being Fredton, Moncton up North and in Bathurst and, uh, Campbellton area, um, so, you know, like, like in, in New Brunswick, it seems there was a, a fair bit of uptake on kind of classic freestyle wrestling. Um, but for whatever reason, that just didn't translate here to St. John. Um, the only club or the only school that had a wrestling program here was uh, was Simon's. It was the only high school. And I wasn't aware of any elementary schools in St. John that had a wrestling program. Um, so it was it was a much bigger sport in Moncton, not to say it was as big as maybe the more traditional or mainstream sports like like, you know, football or hockey or something, but it, it had, it had a bigger following or a bigger athlete base in Moncton than it did here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we competed regularly. I mean, there was tournaments probably, you know, I'm going to kind of stretch back in my memory here because that's high school and junior high was a lot of years ago. Um, but I'm going to say it was probably at least once every two months, we would have a competition somewhere. And how, how did you do like uh, for your, for your rank and for your weight class do you usually do all right or how like talk about some of the comps yeah so i, I wasn't anything you would write home about <laughs> in truth uh full <laughs> truth but um like i uh you know i mean i i was a relatively consistent medalist but i mean i, I was also is a uh essentially the only time in my life i could ever say i was tall at anything josh um my uh my, my weight category i was always kind of long and lean and most of the guys I wrestled with were, uh, were quite a bit shorter and stockier. Um, so it was, it was really, um, you know, not just a clash of styles, but a clash of um, kind of body composition um, was an element there. So sometimes if I was, if I was successful at uh, kind of controlling the distance, I would fare a lot better than if somebody was able to work inside and establish like a body lock or something. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, my, my primary sparring partner the whole way through my, my wrestling career was a fellow by the name of Promise Mwenga. And uh, Promise and his family immigrated from Zimbabwe right around the time I was in grade five. Um, and uh, Promise was actually uh, a Canadian Olympian. Um, and uh, the London Olympics, he was actually the alternate. Um, so he, uh, he he's a phenomenal athlete. So, of course, the two of us were basically in the same weight category the whole way through. And if I told you that my primary uh, opponent was a, to be a future Olympian, I mean, you can do the math on how good you think I did. <laughs> Yeah, I can uh, I can connect the dots there. You're definitely having uh, having a, a rough time, but I'm sure the experience was was amazing. Oh, he's he's a phenomenal athlete and an all around great guy. Um, if you actually like a couple of times there in the in the early days when I was uh, you know training at MXT, like I was really fortunate that I, I maintained a lot of relationships through wrestling, uh, primarily through what they call the the Black Bears in uh, in Fredericton. 
Um, and uh, we had a couple occasions where promised and uh, Sean Dave Finley, who's another really, really high level athlete. He lives in Alberta now, but he, uh, he was part of the UNB team. Um, they would come up and do some wrestling seminars and then we would go to Fredericton and train with our guys um, at the UNB gym, just, uh, you know, just to get a bit of cross training in with, with folks that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have aligned to otherwise. Um, so, you know, just like, like most things, like when, you, when you're involved in martial arts and, and, and need, need many sports, like you do kind of find those uh, relationships and friendships that, you know, do kind of uh, stand the test of time um, and really, really fortunate to be able to, uh, uh, you know, kind of bring a connection to uh, some really high level wrestlers um, for, uh, for the guys here in St. John and have a great time getting some training. And even if that mostly means I'm getting smashed into the mass. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's definitely been a real project of mine this year is just to work on my wrestling and develop it. And I mean, even from watching, like I was watching the, some of the the recent IBJJF Pan Ams and so many people are just guard pullers. I think it's really something that you have to kind of take pride in really like you can get to like a, a really, really high black belt level and not have any takedowns or any type of wrestling ability. Like I really didn't up until I was already a couple of years into my black belt, but now I just kind of see it as like, I just don't want to be forced to be a guard puller, like for my whole grappling career. So I kind of took it upon myself to try to learn some wrestling, watch a lot of matches. I watch a lot of the Danaher feet to floor. That's a great series, but kind of what I've picked up out of it is that like, like wrestling is hard, like jujitsu is hard, but you, it's like a different type of cardio when you wrestle compared to when you're doing jujitsu on the mat. I have one day a week dedicated just to takedowns. I used to do it as a no gi day. Right now we're doing it as a gi day on, uh, we're calling it takedown Tuesday. But if we just do a normal jiu-jitsu class, like the guys are having fun and it's all good. But on those takedown Tuesdays, like we're 10 minutes in and the guys are complaining about being tired. And it's just, it's just, it's just like a different cardio system to wrestle than it is to, to grapple on the ground. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because uh, one thing that's always been said about wrestlers is anybody who's had any degree of success in that sport, um, the one thing you cannot question about them is their work ethic, because uh, it's it's a demanding physical. Uh, it, it's it's just it's just tough. Like they're they're some of the best conditioned athletes out there, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's funny because even at the MXT, um, Pat Foley, who's uh, who's one of our purple belts and a black belt in judo. Um, has been running a takedown class on Friday nights. It's all just, you know, based in the gi, just translating his his judo background into uh, jujitsu, mostly for the competition guys. Um, and uh, it's it's the same thing. Like, there's so many folks out there that have great cardio when it comes to, to rolling. They can roll all day, all night, but start them standing and get them to do, you know, 25, 35 reps of, uh, you know, I don't know Uchimadas or something, and they're, they're all complaining about it. <laughs> it's uh, It's just different. Yeah, totally. I, it's funny to, to see that on the mat. What about jujitsu wise? Have you also competed in jujitsu? Honestly, I haven't. Um, I'm uh, one of the things that I've got a lot of issues with physically is uh, knees and hips. Um, when when I was wrestling, like we didn't and I say when I go back to my comments about the schools being, um, uh, you know, relatively well funded. Like I remember the days of you know cutting weight the morning of a tournament on the drive up to Bathurst in the in the van with a you know a garbage bag on, just trying to sweat out a few pounds. Um, so we all had you know same day weigh-ins. Uh, nutrition wasn't on point for the way uh, weight cuts weren't on point for the way that stuff is done now. 
Um, so, you know, looking back on, you know, my athletic career, like I definitely put a lot more abuse and strain on my system, not just muscles and joints and like ligaments and stuff. Um, but from, uh, you know, not, not to say damage to your kidneys, but I just, I definitely didn't do things the way that I would have had I been more educated on the proper ways of doing that or if our school programs, um, and I, I'm trying, not trying to disparage my coaches is it a different era back then. Like we're going back you know, 30 years here when it comes to when I first started wrestling. Um, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an old dog and a bit of a bit of a broken dog. Um, so I, uh, I try to strict, I try to stick more to the, the recreational side of jujitsu than anything. Um, though at the same time I look at it and I say, man, like you got to get out there and compete because you know, I'm, I'm only getting older and there will come a time where I'm probably going to look back and say, shit, I wish I would have done it a bit more. Uh, I just might have to find my way into a master's division. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of one of the good things about jujitsu is that like you have the, the weight class and oftentimes you'll have that separated by the age bracket too, which I mean, some people don't like, but it's like, it's really good. Like it puts you in the people that you're, you're going to match with in terms of weight and, and size somewhat. You all, ha- all have a relatively similar skill level. It just, it just makes it an even playing field. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's like, you know, I, I say this all the time, but yeah, you, you see some of the tournaments around, um, you know, the Maritimes are some of the guys that are, are frequent competitors, you know, and like they're, they're in their low twenties and they've got more years of experience than I do at their peak athletic, you know, time of their life. Um, and they see like an, you know, an old dog kind of office desk job, sedentary guy like me, which is why I'm so thankful you asked the question about training lifestyle um, now, as opposed to three weeks ago, before I began this new kind of regimen. Um, so now I actually sound like I do something. Um and seeing these guys who are just absolute animals at 22 with, you know, eight, nine, 10 years experience. And I'm like, Holy God. <laughs> but anyways, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. And I love, uh, I love kind of getting out there and, and getting a, a, a range of training partners to, uh, to roll with, whether it's, you know, young or old or experienced or inexperienced. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, definitely. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about it. So like I mentioned in the intro, in the intro, you're, uh, you're one of the heads of, of rogue grappling. A lot of people in jiu-jitsu know what it's like to, to put on an event. Most people will just train and, and, you know, that's all good, but take us back when, how did, I guess, how did the idea come about for rogue? Was it just you and Josh getting together and wanting to, to kind of give something back to the community or maybe it was something else? What was kind of going through your head in the the weeks and kind of the days leading up to your your first event? Kind of take us back to the early road days. Yeah. Um, so Josh uh, Josh has been one of my you know, like my closest friends and uh, uh, best training partners. And I say that because he he seriously whoops my ass every time we roll. It's it's a savaging every time we get a chance to to spar together um, for his benefit, not mine. Um, but when we uh, when we went back and and you know the the the, the, the inception of Rogue uh, as an idea was probably about three years ago, um, maybe a bit longer than that. But, you know, we uh, we just looked at it. And at the time, um, you know, Submission Series and Cat Clark had kind of stepped away from it. Uh, they weren't really looking to, to get back involved. They were saying they weren't going to host any more tournaments. We talked to Derek at the time and he just said, like, look, this, is, this isn't my space anymore. Um, so there was really at the time... Uh, not that there was nothing going on because, you know, there's obviously those mainstay tournaments like Pecto Sub Only and the Abaya Open were still happening. Uh, I think Titans ran an event every um, September kind of loosely. It's not that there was nothing going on, but there really wasn't much that was, um, you know, kind of cohesive. It was a bunch of like standalone events. 
And all those events were, were great. You know, they got the community out and they, they built the community up to, to, to what it was. Um, and, you know, it's always a, a great time to get out there and see everybody. Um, but the one thing that it lacked was because it was all these kind of individual events, it really did operate in kind of a silo format. So we looked at it and said, you know, what can we do to make something feel a little bit more like a, like an athletic season or have a little bit more of um, a coherent or consistent kind of feel throughout? And if you could set up something like that, what would be a cool way to cap off uh, any given season? So we, uh, we came up with the idea of trying to structure something um, with, uh, you know, as, as, as you've been a, a competitor in uh, on more than one occasion, Josh, the, uh, uh, the Grand Prix event. Um, so as opposed to just doing something where, you know, people pay their registration, they put their name in a hat or whatever it is to get into the bracket, we wanted to structure something where it said, we're going to pick the top guys and gals from the last season. Um, and we define season as basically four open events. Uh, we've got an absolute bracket for each one. The champions of the absolute brackets are guaranteed an invite. Um, and then we'd have a few wildcard invitations, uh, which was really just kind of a bit of an ad hoc thing. Like um, if, you, if somebody really impressed us or they had a bunch of, uh, you know, racked up a really impressive record over the season, whatever it was, that's how you kind of got your spot for the wildcard. Um, and uh, wanted to have this, this you know, kind of event that had never been, to our knowledge, ever done on the East Coast before, being no time limit, sub only, single elimination you know we do two events in the gi two events no gi so hey why not let's just alternate round one in the gi round two no gi etc um and uh try to have you know a bit of a one a bit of excitement around um you know that particular day because it's a really fun day um but really give people something to um you know, kind of strive for and work towards. And, you know, for one given season, you had the opportunity to kind of go out there and, and, and train hard and try to, you know, punch your ticket by winning an absolute. If you won the absolute, you were in the Grand Prix. And, um, you know, as you know, like we don't charge anything for, you know, competitors. If you get an invitation like that, that's a, that's yours to earn. It's not yours to buy. Um, and the, the belt itself, like, you know, we've been very, very fortunate. We got the, a line to the same fella who does the belts for the Eddie Bravo Invitational. Um, so as, as you've seen, the belts are, are pretty nice, um, you know, and we, we just wanted to have something that, uh, you know, it was coherent, had a season format, led up to something. So there was a definitive start and end point for a given season, had a very coherent feel, um, and we hope is delivering kind of a premier experience to the maritime athletes, because quite frankly, uh, we think we got some of the best athletes uh, in the world here in this tiny corner of the world. So we want to do something to honor them and to give them something we hope is really exciting for them to compete towards. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, of course I have seen the belts, Chris. I don't have one yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know you're coming for it, man. <laughs> but now it's it's awesome man like i i always knew that that you guys were doing it just kind of for like for the good of the, of the community like i think it's especially you guys really going out of your way to check with other promotions and gyms to like you know not step on anybody's toes like like you guys don't have to do that and a lot of people don't they just pick a date and they're like this is the date this is when we're having the tournament but you guys like you're totally willing and, and want to work with the community so that's that's amazing and also like with these events if you haven't been there you, you wouldn't know but there's a certain level of professionalism to these events that not a lot of tournaments have, you know, like some gyms, most of the gyms that are 
promoters on here that put on these events, they have some level of professionalism, but rogue really takes it that next level where, you know, there's a scoreboard next to the mat with your name on it and your team. And, you know, there's, you know, all the refs are wearing like a, a proper shirt, you know, it's not just someone like with their, with their jacket on or their t-shirt or whatever. And I, I think just having that and just the way that everything's set up and you can, you can see the the brackets online and, you know, you guys just do a really good job of, of running things. And I think that's, to, like it makes me want to compete like there's tournaments that happen practically every other weekend or a couple of months nowadays but but if i'm like i'm a black belt i've been doing this for 14 almost 15 years if i go do a tournament i want it to feel professional i don't want it to just feel like i'm like going to some empty rink to compete in front of a few people you know i think i think that's a va- i think that's valuable that you guys add that stuff well, so first, I, I want to say thank you, Josh, because it is, is a guy that I personally consider to be like a, a serious leader and a real force on the East Coast. Like it means a lot to have somebody, um, kind of your pedigree, your background, say that we're doing something right. Um, so, so I really appreciate that. But the, uh, the the whole thing behind Rogue from the outset was, you know, if there was like a, such a thing as a mission statement, um, it was it was effectively be a good community partner, uh, you know, focus on community development. And then have an offering, a service offering to the, you know, the public that you are trying to serve that is reflective of the quality and the professionalism that exists here. So uh, I think we're trying to reflect back what we see um, from the people around us. And as, as you know, just the, the East Coast, we're a tiny part of the world, man, but like it's it's an inspiring area. There's not a day where, you know, we pack up from a tournament or you know, whatever it is, I don't leave there with almost tears in my eyes. I'm just so pumped up by seeing the energy and the camaraderie and the rivalry and, and just, you know, the, the absolute level of skill on the East Coast. And if, if you've never seen it, it's hard to articulate how good it is. Um, so we just, we just want to be something that is capable of, of offering something that is worthy to the community that we are trying to serve. Yeah, no, and you guys definitely nailed it. I'm, I'm impressed every time that you guys put on the events. And I really like how you, I mean, you talked about the Grand Prix, but it, it really did add kind of like a, like a playoff kind of feel to the, the whole season. Like you're, you're really going out there and, and going for something. Like if you go and lose in the absolute, but you made it to the semifinals, you're going to want to do the next event and, and try to win and, and get your shot at the belts. And who, whose idea was it? Was it you or Josh that came up with the idea of, of having like no time limit matches for the Grand Prix? <laughs> I honestly don't know. There's, there's so much of the, like the, the brainchild and the brainstorming and, and the sitting around talking about it was, was so many bottles of beer and so many cups of coffee over a, a number of months. Like ultimately, um, you know, Josh is definitely a, a strategy kind of big picture guy. I'm more of a kind of detail getting the spreadsheet kind of guy. Um, so I like to think we have a really good partnership in that respect because we're just, we're just very different people. Um, and, and I think in like in a lot of cases, yeah, you draw your strength, um, from, uh, from different skill sets. Um, so, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give him credit and say it was his idea. I have no idea. He might tell you otherwise, but, um, it, uh, you know, it is just really just trying to, to brainstorm and that's just where we landed. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, it was really awesome. And, and in my experience, like, I, I can't remember. I don't think I did the the first rogue event. Like, I think I missed that one, but I remember Joel telling me that it was, he was really impressed with the way it was run and, and, and yeah, he said, had good things to say about it. So I did one of the, probably the second or the third events. Then I, at some point I heard about this Grand Prix and there's going to be no time limit matches and, and all this stuff. And I thought it was, 
I thought it was really cool and really interesting because I had one time competed in a no time limit tournament. This would have been in like 2011 or 2012. I spent some time training with Ryan Hall at 50-50 jiu-jitsu, and we went to an event, a U.S. grappling event, and they had gi and no gi, no time limit for all matches in the same day, two totally separate tournaments, which I thought was pretty crazy. And I think I I got a bronze in the the no gi, and I I took gold in the, the gi event. I ended up having one match that was, I think, 20 minutes or something all the other one was were kind of normal time but i thought i thought that was it i was like that was kind of cool but i'm never going to get to do a no a no time limit tournament again unless i do a u.s grappling or something because i was like i I never would have thought they someone would have done one in the maritime so when when i found out about this grand prix and no time limit i was like i was like man i was like i'm i'm meant to to win this event i was like i'm the only one that has experience uh, in these no time limit matches so i was super excited to do it and uh, and the first Grand Prix was was definitely special. I mean, it was the first one. It was in in our gym. And it was at Halifax BJJ, so you know you almost had like a, a home court advantage type of feel. And it was it was wicked. I had a wicked match in the first one, and me and Jarrett just had a had an absolute war. It was uh, definitely one of the top top matches from from that season right. events that I've competed in. That those are definitely some of the, the things that I think about. Yeah, thanks, man. And like it, it, you're bang on. Like the uh, the battle that you and Jared have, top of my head, I want to say it was 33 minutes. Um, and, and you know that was one of the things. Like when when Josh and I were kind of sitting down and doing it, like we 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 wanted to have that that playoff format, like you mentioned, a, a, a real kind of capstone thing to kind of cap off the end of the season and have something meaningful. Uh, but we didn't just want to come out and do like say a five minute match or a seven minute match. Um, you know, at the time, like Metamorse was uh, was kind of a thing there, and it was all twenty minute matches. And we we talked about doing twenty minutes, and we said, well, if we're going to do twenty, you know, like why why bother having a time limit at all? And, and just see how it goes. Um, and uh, yeah, but you, uh, you and Jarrett were definitely, definitely a burn burner in, uh, in season one and uh, Haley Beaton and Abby Wainwright in season two, I think they went for, uh, you know, in the high twenties or the low thirties as well. And like, it's one thing to say the match went for a long time, but if for folks out there who haven't seen the match, they're all up on our YouTube. So I'm going to plug it uh, youtube.com slash roll grappling. Um, please, uh, you know, like, and subscribe, check it out. Uh, but the uh, it's like those, some of those you know those matches are they're action packed and competitive the entire length. Nobody wanted to yield an inch, and that's what makes that stuff so exciting for me because it's not thirty minutes of guys trying to catch their breath or kind of stiff arming and in grip fighting like it's it's kind of pedal to the metal for the the length of it. And you can just see the sweat dripping off you, the determination like, and that's what I mean. It's so hard to walk away from one of those events or even watch the replay. Uh, and not feel inspired definitely and it's just a different thing like the mindset of no time limit like i don't care what the time limit is if you do five minutes six minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes no matter what you're going to be looking at the clock and just in your mind be like okay 10 minutes left okay six minutes left it's different if it's like no no it doesn't matter there's no time limit so it's like it's just it's just totally a a different mind frame of like this match isn't going to end until you get a submission on this guy or get a dominant position and, and get a submission. So, so yeah, that's what I, that's what I like about it. I don't think it would be for, for everybody, but it's, I think just like you said, I mean, you go on, you can go on and watch it, but there's definitely been some, some real inspiring performances. Joel won the first one, Sean McManus won the, the second one and, and justice had a, a wicked performance too. But is there any other matches that, that kind of stand out in your mind from, from any of the past 
past rogue events that that you've seen i know it's probably hard to to narrow it down but oh yeah um i thought uh like they say the two that are the most memorable for me um are uh, are, are yours and jared's war because that was like 33 minutes or 36 minutes whatever it was back and forth uh abby wainwright from summerside and Haley beaton from uh, pecto county they went something like 30 minutes a lot of back and forth action um like at the end of the day like for for myself is uh um you know i get for, for being out there for refing or commentating or whatever it is like whatever happens i'm just i'm there and i'm thankful that i just get to watch good jujitsu um because that's just it's 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 like I say it's tough not to leave there and, and feeling inspired want to go back to the gym and the mats and work on something or you, you see somebody pull you know some kind of technique a crazy transition you wouldn't have expected and you want to figure out how they did it um, so like for me, I think those, those long grueling matches with a lot of back and forth, um, are the ones that are most memorable for me because there's stuff that you can learn almost any given second you're watching it. Um, and every time, like, you know, somebody slips in like a, a tight choke and you think it's going to be it. And then just from sheer determination, you know, they yank their arm out or they, they, they somehow survive and you're sitting there almost like scratching your head, like, holy shit, you know, these people won't quit. Um, and so th- those are you know, those were, those were a couple of matches that I thought were really, uh, really special. Um, you know, I thought, uh, Joel Jackard and Chad Cox was, uh, was a really good match as well. in uh, in the first Grand Prix, that was a few just incredible transitions back and forth attacks, um, for, uh, for both guys. Like that was, uh, that was, that was a really good match. Um, I thought McManus and Joe Pilmer in the second Grand Prix was, uh, was also noteworthy. Like that was something where, you know, another 20 plus 25 minute plus, uh, battle where neither guy wanted to quit. Um, so yeah, just at the end of the day, like I, I, it's hard to, to point to, to one match and saying that's like the definitive moment, but it's a series of definitive moments usually that reveal themselves inside these long grueling battles that I think I find the most, uh, the most memorable. Yeah. And especially cause like you mentioned, you do quite a lot of the, the officiating, but especially with the grand prix, no time limit, I mean, it's no points as well. So it's really like you just have a front row seat for the match. <laughs> yeah, it's the best seat in the house. <laughs> That's right. You can't uh, can't beat that. So I got, uh, before we get into the, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the BJJ New Brunswick stuff, but I got just kind of a set of uh, random questions, some related to jiu-jitsu, some not, but I think these are often interesting. Great. When you were growing up, when you were growing up, who was your favorite athlete? Oh, uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, probably, uh, one of the guys I, I admired a lot was, uh, was Miroslav Klosa, um, who's, uh, I'm not sure if you're yeah, a fan of European football at all, but he was uh, a German striker. My, my family's German. So it kind of a, it's a big deal world cup in Euro and so on. Uh, we, uh, we make a, a kind of a big production out of Washington soccer together. Um, and, uh, Miro was, you know, the all time goal scoring leader in world cup history. And, uh, you know, he, it just, it's, it was tough not to see, a guy with a good reputation who could really handle himself with professionalism on the pitch, um, perform at such a high level for so many years. Um, so, so Miro was, uh, was definitely up there. And actually as a case in point, I had originally almost convinced my wife to, to name our firstborn son Miro, but ultimately I lost that. What about what's your favorite restaurant? Oh, favorite restaurant, hands down. Uh, if you're in St. John, New Brunswick, uh, or KV, Ashley, the Cask and Kettle, uh, it's, uh, in my opinion, the, the, the top restaurant in, uh, in town. They just opened a second location in KV. 
um, anything from uh, kind of upscale traditional um, Irish uh, fare, or if you just want to get like a, a great burger, good pub food, awesome appetizers. Uh, they got rotating taps. So they're one of the, in St. John anyway, is kind of one of the premier spots where um, all they serve is microbrew um, and the taps rotate basically every day. So a keg runs out, they put a new keg on. So they're always doing uh, new runs like PEI, uh, Nova Scotia, Ontario, microbrews. Um, so you never know what you're going to get. Um, and they've actually got their own kind of brewery where they have uh, four or five products of their own. They just kind of launched over the last 12 to 16 months. I could be wrong on the dates there. Um, but you know, if you're asking me where, where do, you know, where do I eat? Um, it's the cask and kettle, um, with, uh, when we film our interviews here in St. John, uh, you know, we, uh, we film them at the pub. Um, so that's, uh, that's an easy question to answer that one. Nice. How about what's the last show that you really got into or binge watched TV wise? Oh, uh, I don't watch a, a ton of TV. Um, like I say, I, I'm really trying to emphasize much more reading. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the last show that I think I really enjoyed was Chernobyl. Nice. That's a good one. That was like a yeah. miniseries. Outstanding. You know, some of the, for whatever it was, five or six episodes, it was, it was just bang on. Yeah. That was incredible stuff. Who's your all time favorite grappler? Ooh, <laughs> uh, might have to give that to, uh, Dan Gable. Oh, nice. Sick answer. Olympic gold medalist. A savage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was uh, he's a machine and I he's a very successful wrestling coach as well. I don't I think he coaches at a at a university or something. Yeah, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Um I know uh his his career and his impact on the sport um will be truly transcendent. Like he's he's a guy who's really really stamped his name on the legacy of wrestling. What's the last technique that you learned in class? What was the last thing you guys were working on? Oh, my coach is going to be upset if I don't get this right. Um, <laughs> no, the, the last, uh, like I said, we just switched back to uh, the gi here um, coming into uh, September. We were no gi all summer. Um, so we had, uh, you know, a few uh, kind of newer guys in the class. So it's actually funny because we had one guy last night who was his very first time um, ever and we wound up working straight ankles and straight ankle defenses. And I was laughing about teaching the white belt leg locks, but you know, we, we didn't get into any heel hooks or anything, but um, so, you know, it was, it was a bunch of kind of uh, more elementary techniques from different, uh, different entries and, and passing guard and what to do with you. You know, you get a leg drag and you, you want to sit back and attack the leg because you can't pass the guard, whatever it is. So um, I'm going to say straight ankle. Nice. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mentioned that I do one, one class a week dedicated to takedowns. I also have one class a week dedicated to leg locks because I found just kind of like you mentioned, I all, I often used to wrestle with the question of like, well, when really should you start to teach someone leg locks? And then I just basically made the decision of like, I'm just going to teach it once a week. And if you want to come learn it, it's often usually better to get exposed earlier on rather than later. But, but yeah, I, I often used to wrestle with that too. Like when really should you teach, start teaching someone leg locks, but they often seem to be legal like earlier than they did before in tournaments and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no doubt that they're being, you know, more prevalent here now in the, in the last few years than, you know, certainly when I started jujitsu and not that I've been doing it for a long time, like I say, I've been training about seven years. Um, but uh, it's noticeable in the last, you know, call it two to three years with, uh, you know, the Dan or her death squad. It may be, maybe in particular, I'm kind of bringing that to the 400 Dean Lester and, you know, some of the, the famous kind of foot lockers. Um, but uh, it's great that, uh, you know, you're, you're taking like one thing I try to really talk about to some of the newer guys at, uh, 
that train here or whenever I'm, somebody asks me a question out of, out of interest on jujitsu is, is the importance of kind of dedicated training. And whether that's, uh, you know, I'm going to do a day of takedowns or a day of leg locks or a, a day of whatever, or you're just trying to start, um, you know, every round in a position where you're uncomfortable, like just the importance of putting yourself in those situations or, or really deliberately practicing one particular element of your game um, is something that, you know, I wish I had more. Um, I wish I had done more of that in the first few years I was training. Like now I think I'm being way more intelligent in how I approach my, my practice. Um, but, uh, yes, it's the kind of thing like it's, it's, I seem to hear that a lot from folks I talk to now they're taking a really deliberate approach to one session a week on, on X, or they're going to you know, start every round in, uh, in bottom mount and, and just, you know, really hone that one particular piece of their game. So I see that a lot now. Yeah. I think just what you said, that deliberate, practice that's i mean not that there is a shortcut in jiu-jitsu to getting better but if there was one that would kind of be it like really really be mindful and like think about what you're doing you need that kind of dedicated yeah like have- uh, one thing we're really we're really lucky about with uh on mxd west is um like a lot of the guys there are, are high level judo practitioners first we've got a number of guys who are black belt in judo or brown belt in judo um, and, uh, you know, they might have a white belt or a blue belt around their waist when we're training at MXT West, but, you know, you can tell as soon as they get a grip on your lapel, like that grip ain't breaking. Um, and you know, the, the way that they approach and the way that they move and how they apply their top pressure on the, on the, on the ground is, it just feels a little bit different than somebody who's got, you know, maybe less of a grappling background or has just started jujitsu for the very first time or whatever. Um, so like, I, I really try to, like, as one good fellow in particular, Bob and I, I rolled with him last night and, um, I'm just, I'm a dirty foot locker. I caught him in two toeholds, but he, uh, <laughs> every time he, uh, he, he gets to my side control, the pressure is just so intense. I almost am begging him to take North South. Um, and then he always slaps on a Kimura and he's got a super high percentage finish rate on me. So I told him, I was like, listen, Bob, you're killing me in that, uh, that Kimura position. So every time we roll here for the next little bit, I'm going to start bottom side control and just try to escape and, and get my guard back. And he's just going to try to beat the crap out of me. Yeah. Nice. And eventually you'll, you'll be able to figure something out to, to hopefully at least slow him down. <laughs> yeah, slowing him down would be great. But like I said, I, I, I caught him in a couple of toeholds yesterday, so I, I felt vindicated. But nice. What about if you had to go against one person? This is it. This is if you're forced into a no time limits match. I know you're just getting back into training. So say you got about. A, so I'll give you a month hypothetically. If you had a month to, to get in shape, do whatever you got to do, and you had you had to challenge one person to a no time limit match, who are you taking on? Is it going to be Josh? Oh, as much as I would love to take on Josh, that'd be a very one-sided affair. Um, <laughs> Do you got somebody in mind or you just take on anybody you can beat? <laughs> anybody I can beat might be a short list, my friend. <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you got to give yourself some credit, man. What no, about? It's, it's all self-deprecating humor. Like just people, I, I, you know, I just, I love the art. I love the sport. I want to go out and have fun and, um, like I know there's a lot of fun to be had in, in, in both the, uh, the camaraderie and the rivalry. So I like to think I got, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that, uh, I really enjoy rolling with. Like I, I, you know, I've been down to breakthrough and I had a few rounds with, uh, with justice and Jericho and Jeremy, uh, that was super fun. Um, I got, I got demolished by Jericho, which, uh, which is, you know, it, 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 it's, it's like, I find, I find I get a lot of enjoyment out of reflecting on matches where I got absolutely destroyed. 
Yeah, no, and it's cool too that just like you mentioned, like you've gone to a lot of other clubs and, and train. Like we've got to roll before, I've got to roll with Josh before, and I always thought that was cool about you guys too. Like because some people they'll put on the events, but they you know they're they're not really out in the community and trying to visit other other clubs and stuff. Like you know you guys you guys don't have to do that. Go to other gyms and do other classes. Like you could totally just put on events and be like, no, you you come to us, but. Well, listen, man, for us, like I say, we want to, we want to make sure we are a reflection of the community around us. And if you're not out there meeting people and like I say the the old kind of saying is true. Like I can learn more about somebody in a five minute role than I can in a 45 minute conversation. Um, so if you want to get out there and really meet people that are in this community, I think the best way to do it is go slap hands, bump fists and, and, you know, have a little flow roll and get to know each other. Oh, 100%, 100%. Do you have any favorite Canadian TV shows? Uh, so I say I don't. Uh, I don't watch a ton of TV, but um, the uh, uh, Shit's Creek. Uh, my wife and I watched that, and it was pretty funny. Oh yeah, that's a favorite favorite on the show. What about movie wise? What are three of your favorite movies? Are you a movie guy? Oh, you know, I'm I'm definitely more of a movie guy than a TV guy. Um, my, my favorite film of all time is, uh, the 1979 film alien. Um, so I, I don't know if you know that one, but it's the uh, Sigourney Weaver Ripley Scott directed. I, I love that film. Um, just the, uh, it was one of the, you know, the original kind of suspense sci-fi kind of elements. And I've, I've always found it truly a, a scary and thought provoking film. Um, so that, uh, that's number one on my list, uh, Number two on my list is uh, The Emperor's New Groove. Um, I hope you've seen that one. Jeez, uh, uh, number three, wow. Um, probably anything from, like, one thing, I'm actually really happy we're coming up on October here. Uh, I love vintage horror movies like the black and white, the 1930s, uh, the Boris Karloffs, the Bela Lugosi's, that kind of stuff. So probably probably something from that era, black and white horror emperor's new groove the, the cartoon no i never seen it i never heard of it oh dude you gotta you gotta see that <laughs> it's it's solid gold it's just a disney movie it's right stupid but it'll you'll get a couple of laughs out of it oh i'll have to check it out do you have a favorite martial arts movie oh geez favorite martial arts movie um I mean, I guess uh, as an off-the-cuff answer, like I, when I was growing up, kind of Jean-Claude Van Damme was badass. So, I mean, Bloodsport's a classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bloodsport, Van Damme. I actually, it was probably a year or maybe more ago now, but I watched uh, Van Damme Lionheart for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a classic. Yeah. Do you have uh, a favorite MMA fight? Or is there any MMA fights or UFC pride, maybe something that that kind of stuck out to you in the early days. Yeah. So as far as um, like, just like in, in, in kind of the local scene, like there's, there's more people I like to fight as opposed to people I like to see and watch as opposed to maybe one particular match. But um, I, I honestly, I've always found uh, Damian Maya to be um, just a, a delight to watch. Um, Leota Machida is somebody else I, I also enjoyed watching quite a bit. Uh, Chael Sonnen, say my, my background being wrestling, just seeing uh, – uh, he's the first guy that ever made Anderson Silva look human. Um, so, like, I think uh, I tend to, to gravitate more towards – I mean, it's hard to argue with George St. Pierre, obviously phenomenal wrestler. Um, so it's more, it's more people I would enjoy to watch as opposed to one defining fight. 
Right on. Yeah. Last, last one I have for these random questions. What's the worst injury that you've suffered from jujitsu? Oh, from jujitsu. Um, I mean, aside from being put to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Aside from <laughs> uh, <laughs> Although you can tell that story if you want to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where uh, this, I was caught in a baseball choke, but made the rookie mistake of thinking I was going to pass that guard and then deal with it. And, uh, you know, woke up looking at the ceiling with John Kelly leaning over me, asking me what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The baseball bat choke, you are you are not alone. There's one guy at our gym that's that really got developed a knack for that choke. And I feel like he's choked at more people than not at the gym now with the baseball bat choke. <laughs> nice. So that's awesome, man. So uh, one thing we forgot to mention about Rogue is that you there, there just was an event recently rogue grappling the return uh right now it's early september 2021 but you guys just put that event on recently and i know i think you had mentioned that you were kind of kind of maybe not surprised but that there was a really a lot of support for this event coming back it was the the first one i think since covid had started that rogue put on talk talk a little bit about that yeah so uh august 21st we did uh honestly it was we, we called it the return. It was kind of a, a tongue in cheek thing. We really just wanted to put together a small limited size um, engagement. So we only opened it to uh, uh, kids were any experience level, uh, adult female were any experience level, but adult males, it was just beginners. So anybody with three year experience or less, uh, I was a Nogi event. So, you know, it probably just basically had nobody, nobody higher ranked than, you know, maybe a, a relatively recent blue or a couple of stripes on a blue belt on depending how fast they were graded. Um, and, uh, the real intent behind that was, uh, really two things. Like, as you know, um, our, our season format, we, we run four events a year, uh, August, October, January, and May, and then the Grand Prix is in July. Um, one thing we did, and you mentioned early is when we, you know, kind of set out the thing that we, we, you know, really want to make sure we did was reach out to all the club owners in the Maritimes, all the people who were hosting tournaments or had a history of hosting tournaments and just saying, look, what are the months you guys are going to do your thing and we'll work around you. So if you're going to host a tournament in April and somebody else has got a tournament in June, then we'll take May. Um, so that's, that's how we tried to structure everything. Now, coming out of COVID, um, you know, we, we've traditionally done a tournament in August. Um, there was uh, another promotion here locally that decided they were going to put together um, a couple of, uh, you know, kind of absolute style brackets for themselves in August. So uh, we just decided, look, as opposed to us, you know, doing a regular season event um, and trying to, you know, compete and, in, 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 you know, kind of pull like a dick move or anything, let's just focus on doing a beginner size event. Let's keep it small let's try to remember how to do these things because we hadn't, you know, had smooth comp out for a year and a half and none of us had ref the match in a year and a half. Um, so we just wanted to make sure we knew what we were doing before we got back into the swing of things. Um, so we kind of put together, like I say, this, this little event, we called it the return is, uh, is more of a tongue in cheek thing for kind of coming back to the, the world of, of grappling tournaments uh, post COVID, you know, hopefully we're post COVID sooner than later. Um, and, uh, you know, just try to try to shake the rust off. Um, but the, uh, the return to the actual, uh, season three takes place October 9th. Um, so that's actually going to be back into a, a full scale event where there will be an absolute bracket and we're going to start getting tickets punched to go to the Grand Prix for this round. Nice. That's uh, that's awesome. I feel like when 
I feel like I'm always proud of the jiu-jitsu community when stuff like that happens. It's like sometimes you wonder, like, well, geez, are people really going to come back and compete? But I feel like it was uh, probably even more than you would have expected, the, the turnout for the competitors. Uh, 100%. You know, we, we honestly said at the start, it's like, look, if we get, you know, 50 people, like, that's going to cover our expenses. And, like, you know, we won't really make anything, but at least we'll – you know, have the opportunity to shake the rust off. And, and we ultimately had to wind up capping it because the, the response was so overwhelming. Um, we just didn't have the space to deal with it. Not that we were worried about, you know, having everybody at two meters distance, like in New Brunswick, we're back to the green mode. So we're relatively unencumbered. Um, but COVID is still a thing. So we didn't want to have a packed gym. Um, so we uh, we capped it at, uh, I think we had 107 uh, at, the, at the end of it, um, which is way more than we anticipated. Yeah, nice. That's that's amazing. I saw some of the the pictures and videos. It looked like it was it was really well done. So next event coming up for Rogue, like you mentioned, it's coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, October 9th. The last thing I kind of wanted to chat about you with is the the BJJ NB. As I understand it, it's a provincial sport organization. But maybe you can enlighten us as to what BJJ NB is and w- why is it necessary to have. What what are the benefits? Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is a little bit of a, not a little bit, it is a long explanation. Um, so I'm going to try to keep the, you know, relatively abridged. And if there's things you really want to drill down on, just, you know, stop me and I'll, I'll go a bit deeper. Um, but high level, when we first started talking about Rogue, and actually, it's actually why we named the company Rogue, as a matter of fact, is we were a New Brunswick company. Josh and I are both based in St. John, um, but we couldn't do tournaments in New Brunswick. So we had a company, we had a, you know, a game plan and something we wanted to do, but we had to go to Nova Scotia. So we went with the term rogue because like, you know, we are a legitimate New Brunswick business. We just can't operate in our own backyard. So it's kind of like being, you know, like a little bandit kind of running across the border and, and trying to, you know, get away from the man and do something. Um, but the, uh, the, the thing with um, the reason why we couldn't hold a tournament in New Brunswick at the start was uh, the way the New Brunswick Combat Sport Act is written, um, there's uh, something in there that's defined as a, as a prescribed sport, and there's only a handful of them, um, or at the time there was only a handful. There's boxing, judo, uh, karate, taekwondo, and wrestling. Um, and basically, if you were a prescribed sport under the definition of the act, you could have your own sport association, and basically the judo body will govern decisions for judo. The wrestling body will do wrestling and so on and so forth. Yeah, sorry. If, uh, if you're not one of those prescribed sports, then you are mixed martial arts. Um, and the challenge with that is the way the Combat Sport Act is written is if you are MMA, you have very particular rules you need to adhere to. And one of those examples is all fighters have to submit to a medical. Um, so you know, like a drug test and stuff. So if we wanted to have a tournament that was open to, say, a 12-year-old, that kid would need to submit blood and urine, um, which is crazy. Um, crazy, yeah. You know, no, you're not. Um, right. And, like, you know, things like you'd need to have uh, private security. You would need to pay this combat sport commission uh, to have their own judges and their scorekeepers and stuff there. And before we even got to... Um, like a, an open style, like IBJJF point system kind of open tournament. We originally floated the idea of doing just a, like a, uh, and maybe this was kind of the template for the future Grand Prix with Rogue, but it was just like doing almost just like a, like a sub only style event. And again, according to the letter of the law in the Combat Sport Act, every match would need to be scored by a panel of three, three scorekeepers. 
So when I met with the combat sport commission, I told them like, well, listen, guys, we're going to do a submission only thing. So you want me to have three scorekeepers that you are going to appoint for me that are going to sit next to a match and score a belt with no point system. So it, it just, it was one of those things where like, there was just so many roadblocks um, and just, you know, obviously the straw that broke the camel's back was things like I'd have to get kids to submit blood and urine and do drug tests. And that was just ridiculous. Um, so it, because of that, that's why Rogue was doing tournaments uh, in Amherst originally. And, you know, so much love and, and gratitude to the folks in Amherst because the, the people there really opened up their, uh, their arms to help us, you know, get a lay of the land and figure out where to do tournaments and stuff. They, they were awesome to deal with. Um, but uh, that set us down the path of trying to figure out, okay, how do we become a prescribed sport so we can have, you know, a little more control over our own destiny? And in, in the Combat Sport Act, it does say prescribed or sports can become prescribed by the order of the lieutenant governor. But there's no other information aside from that. They don't tell you how you do it um, and or any kind of process or what that looks like or whatever. Um, so there began our, our quest. We were going to find a way to become prescribed and then take control of our own destiny in New Brunswick. Um, now, that uh, kind of dovetailed into this this notion of a provincial sport organization or a PSO. Um, and really what the PSO is, is the government basically giving some nonprofit group the stamp of approval saying, you guys are the ones who are in charge of, you know, kind of bringing all the clubs, all the teams together and, you know, kind of defining the direction that that sport is going in. So like, like minor basketball as an example has a provincial sport organization, basketball NB, and, you know, they have uh, the elections for their executive, all the different teams and clubs or members. And, um, and so it just, it's, it's really just the term for, that is the provincial head of the association. So the first step for us to become prescribed was we had to get recognition from the government that BJJNB um, was, you know, worthy of having its own particular niche in Sport New Brunswick's um, kind of catalog, being jujitsu. So BJJNB, um, and you know, all the different steps that kind of went into that um, was, uh, well, say that the whole process to get BJJNB from start to finish. Uh, was probably about you know pretty close to three years of work, um, and you know some of the like you know some of the early steps you had to you know incorporate a company you know get nonprofit status had to elect a board of directors you had to to prove that you are meeting have minutes for those meetings um, you had to submit uh, application forms to to various levels of government um, you know we were we were very lucky um, that. Uh, through this process, we had a, a fellow from Sport New Brunswick by the name of Steve Harris, um, who actually wound up being a huge ally for us. Um, and actually, uh, case in point, like he he actually went the extra mile to drive from his home in Fredericton to Amherst to come see a couple of our tournaments there, just to get a sense for what you know how we ran things and what the community kind of looked like and felt like. Um, so I think we were really lucky that he saw you know, the, the heart and the passion of, you know, maritime jujitsu and said, okay, these guys are legitimate. It's not a bunch of thugs, you know, just, just fighting in a parking lot. Like they're, you know, they're really trying to, to be a legitimate um, sport here. Um, so we were very lucky we got paired up with him because once, once he, you know, became kind of really an ally there, uh, he, he was a guy that we could just bounce ideas off of and, and really, really help us. Um, so 
once we get, uh, uh, you know, call it the stamp of approval from Sport New Brunswick, um, we still had to get recognition from the legislature, um, which means we had to effectively get a, a bill together. Um, it was submitted to uh, you know, the, the House of Assembly here in New Brunswick, um, the legislature, where, where they had to vote and say, you know, you know, we recognize this particular organization uh, as BJJNB, and they will represent uh, the provincial sport. They, they will become the provincial sport organization to represent that sport and the athletes in this province. Um, and once, you know, that got done, um, then it had to go to the lieutenant governor uh, to sign off, basically. But, um, you know, one of the one of the challenges we had is, is going through that process. We know we had an election and the lieutenant governor in uh, New Brunswick actually died while our, our form was basically on her desk. Oh so, so it, it's funny because, like, you, you don't know if it would have gone any faster or any slower if circumstances were different, but like I look at that and say, you know, Steve Harris definitely saved us a ton of time because he was telling us like, guys, you know, I need you to, you know, one of the things we had to do when, when submitting the paperwork um, and trying to get it, get his approval as, uh, as, you know, he would have to give us the thumbs up before he would allow us to get that bill before legislature. So he wanted to see things like, you know, a concussion protocol, a youth protection protocol, um, a sexual harassment policy, I'm like, you know, we had to go deep in, in drafting all these documents and bylaws and, and, you know, getting everything put together in a, in a legal package that they could take to the government, the government could vote on. Um, and if we didn't have Steve helping us out, like that would have been a huge undertaking first. Um, but then if the you know, Lieutenant Governor, uh, Justin Roy, didn't pass away, God rest her soul, um, you know, maybe it would have been, you know, maybe it would have sat on somebody's desk indefinitely. Um, you know, we got we got super lucky that BJJNB, uh, the motion for us to pass as a PSO, actually got slid into the legislature as part of an omnibus bill. Um, so we kind of got passed alongside a bunch of other things without BJJNB specifically being voted on, which was, again, kind of a lucky break. Um, but so it was, it was a it was a big, big process to get here, man. Like it was it was a huge undertaking. And, uh, you know, all the credit in the world to uh, uh, Professor John Kelly and uh, Professor Melissa Hutchinson and uh, Sian Gadain because they, they were, you know, just fighting to get this thing through for, uh, for a solid three years. Um, and it was, uh, it was a monumental undertaking. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, man. I, I, I know a lot about jiu-jitsu, but I know zero about the, like, the legislative, uh, legislative part of it. But, I mean most people if you would have grown up in the maritimes you probably would have played some type of organized sport like hockey or soccer i know i definitely played a lot of hockey but the way that i kind of would think about it because like a lot of time i did jiu-jitsu and i didn't really i didn't know or care if there was any provincial sport organization but i mean if you've played hockey or your kids play hockey or whatever like it's it's organized someone does that and puts it together and they organize all the tournaments and all the events and and all that stuff so when i would start to think about it is when i was like a couple of years into jiu-jitsu and you look at going to compete or having a tournament or whatever and there's just not it's not organized at all like it's organized kind of like it is now like just through like facebook groups and like you know posts and different stuff like that but but it's just adds like just that another level of professionalism to it like people would be like you said you'll be able to bring people in for camps for referee camps or maybe competition wise whatever maybe down the line you can send people off to tournaments worlds or, or other big events 
but you know it's going to benefit everyone in the long run but I, I think it's it's really important stuff yeah so like the one thing i, I mentioned if, if there was such a thing as a mission statement for for rogue and indeed for bjjmb because there's so many parallels between the values of both those two organizations um it's uh, it's community development and, and the way that i define that in my own head is it's about making things easier for whoever comes after you and the battle like the the the, the heavy lifting to get to now um, means like, look, we're, we're recognized by the government We're we are on the same level. BJJNB is technically on the same level as minor hockey in this province. We have the same status. I mean, obviously they have a much bigger membership and a much more, you know, well-funded organization association than we do because we just passed, we just got created. Um, but if you think about all the things that minor sport is able to do, whether it's, you know, hockey camps or uh, clinics or sending, uh, you know, regional champions to go compete at provincials or Eastern Canadians or nationals or internationals or Pan Ams, like those, those are all the same opportunities that exist for BJJNB. We just have to build this thing out. So we're, we, we've got the, the skeleton now exists. It's past the government we're a thing what we have to start doing now is piling the muscle on so we can really drive this thing forward um, so you know having the ability to you know now we are considered a prescribed sport which means we can sanction our own events uh the combat sport authority has nothing to do with a, a jiu-jitsu tournament um if it truly is bjj or submission grappling bjj nb is the one to sanction those events there's nobody else who has a say um that's a, that's a huge win because, you know, as long as you, know, you meet the criteria and you're behaving in a good manner and you're doing something that's this right for the community and the sport, like BJJNB is going to support that. Um, and if we think about, you know, five years down the road, 15 years down the road, you know, if we continue to experience the growth in the clubs and the athlete base that we have been in, you know, the seven short years that I've been doing it, um, I mean, I can tell you at, at MXD, like, I remember in my early days, sometimes a big class was, you know, eight people. And, and now MXG, like we have two clubs in St. John and there's, you know, 130 people training at headquarters and we've got 26 adults training West um, and we both have wait lists. So like the, the, the sport is growing tremendously. I know you guys have experienced that same kind of exponential growth at Halifax BJJ Society, like the number of athletes and enthusiasts today is, is light years ahead of what it was five years ago. And if we continue to grow at that path, like one of the things I think we need to continue along that growth is, uh, is to have the sport really feel legitimized in the eyes of a lot of people who may be laymen when it comes to, to combat sports in general. And having a provincial sport organization, I think, gives us a certain level of credibility um, because we're effectively government sanctioned. Um, and if we if we think about like what would be the the awesome things to do for you know the local community in uh, in New Brunswick and develop those athletes, develop the infrastructure, so again the community has it easier five years from now, ten years from now than we did. It really is all those things that help us grow the infrastructure, grow the the quality and the depth of the talent. Um, and and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take up to one you know, say uh, a road Grand Prix and, and BJ through BJJNB effectively get them, you know, like, a, you know, call it a scholarship to go compete at IBJJF World Masters or some other kind of big prestigious tournament. Like, I think the opportunities there for athlete and community development are, are, are you know, almost incalculable. We just have to figure out how to get there.
And step one was becoming a PSO. And, and we say, we, we got the heavy lifting done. Now we're there. Uh, the battle from now looking forward is how do we build this thing out and really unlock the potential? Yeah. And I mean, I can definitely tell you if I was a blue belt or a purple belt and that opportunity was on the line, like I would definitely be showing up if, you know, you could win a, a chance to win a tournament. And then on top of that, a scholarship to go compete, compete elsewhere. But just like you said, having jujitsu on the same level as hockey, like, like that's a huge deal. That's way bigger than, than a lot of people would think. And, and it's going to become necessary. Like you said, just the growth of the sport, like all the clubs are blowing up. You mentioned Halifax BJJ. We had to go to a bigger location because the classes were just, were getting so big. And even the, most of the morning classes that I teach, like the morning class started out just basically like with me and Joel. And like, you know, we could convince maybe one or two other people to go, but I was, I was counting in this week. I was like, Oh, this kind of seems like a smaller morning class. And I counted and there was like 17 or 18 people there, but it's just like, now we're averaging like, 20 sometimes more than 20 people in in the morning classes so so that that provincial organization i think is going to be so important when as you mentioned like 5 10 15 years down the road there's going to be it, maybe everybody's going to be doing jiu-jitsu so we need to have things in place that like can get the the talented and the deserving people where they need to be because it's like any other sport like there i'm sure there's a lot of wasted talent and people that just don't get the opportunities because they're the opportunities just aren't there well you listen everybody you know everybody faces some degree of economic reality and the more you commit yourself to uh you know a relatively young sport like jujitsu like i mean you know the, the opportunity for sponsorship and to really make a living off of that are, are low and, and not that i have any illusions to saying you know five ten years from now people are going to be able to be full-time paid athletes in jujitsu and new Brunswick. That, that's not the that's not the you know the, the path i think we're on by any stretch of the imagination but it would be lovely if it happened um but it, it's really more so about um you know trying to think you know 10 years from now what is the jujitsu community likely to need and then how do we go about today um, it, it developing the skills or the infrastructure so that they're in a better position to execute, um, you know, the next phase of jujitsu in this province. Because um, it's really, in many ways, it's no different than planning, um, you know, as a, as a business. Like you're thinking about, you know, three years from now, if you want to be able to, you know, you know, whatever the business is, accomplish a certain goal or hit a certain revenue or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you need to have certain skills and attributes and, and infrastructure to be able to deliver those goals, you better start thinking today, how are you going to lay the groundwork to get there? So you're not trying to manage a crisis when you need it. Um, so it's, it's really about, you know, trying to be forward looking. And the other element um, that we're, you know, really, you know, really pleased and, and proud of is, um, because we're able to kind of write our own bylaws and, and you know, we were able to kind of structure the organization um, and because it is still so new, the more people that we bring on as, uh, as the membership, um, everybody who comes on has a vote. So like when we're thinking about, you know, do we, if you're, if you're at a fork in the road, you can go left or you can go right. Like you'll be able to turn to the membership and, and everybody can just put their hands up, yay or nay. Um, so people who have an interest in developing the sport and in, um, you know, have a keen desire or passion to have an influence over where we're going in the future. Like this is your opportunity. This is your forum to come be here at the ground level and the grassroots and, and help us establish the direction in the strategy. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. And I, I find it very interesting. And I think just, just like you said, we're going to look back on, on this in 10, 15 years and be like, like what a difference this, this has made. 
but going going back to to rogue grappling you mentioned that the the next event is coming up uh, october 9th what's uh what's the future for rogue grappling coming coming for that event uh, and and beyond yeah so obviously we're we're as excited as everybody to get back to uh uh, you know, back to normal here, whatever normal is going to look like in this uh, kind of uh, call it post COVID world, even if COVID is still kind of hanging over our shoulders. Um, so, you know, our, our goal, our mindset has always been to, you know, try to give the community an event they can be excited about work towards something on a, you know, somewhat annual basis um, with the, uh, the Grand Prix. Um, so, uh, you know, our, our attentions now that we've got the, a bit of the rust kind of shaken off from the return is getting back to uh, the next event, um, which, uh, we called May Day, uh, which is actually the event we had to cancel because of COVID restrictions back in uh, May of 2020. Um, and yeah, turning our head to uh, the new season and, and hopefully getting people kind of amped up to, uh, uh, you know, kind of get back out there and, and get some people in, uh, in the future Grand Prix bracket and, and give, uh, give somebody else a shiny belt to take home. Definitely. And I know, I know I'll definitely be there for that one. So I know, I know a lot of gyms and a lot of competitors will be, will be looking forward to it, but, but yeah, no, I think we, we covered some, some really interesting stuff. Uh, thanks for, for talking with me, Chris, the jiu-jitsu community has definitely benefited a lot from, from road grappling and the, the work that you and Josh have done. I've had several memorable matches there myself. So, so thanks for, for all that you've done. I hope you guys really just keep, keep chugging along. And um, yeah, obviously you're, you're welcome back on the show on any time. Is there anything else you, you want to say to anyone who might be listening to this? Oh, I mean, listen, first, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for, for having me and, and for giving me an opportunity to kind of talk a bit about, um, you know, the history of, of Rogue and, and, and BJJMB and, and the direction that we're trying to uh, kind of grow things here. And we say, we think we're on a really good path. Um, but you know, that, that, that path, is going to be so heavily dependent on community engagement uh, because, you know, the more ideas, the more voices, the more people we have around the table, whether it's a BJJ NB or just, you know, jujitsu in general in the Maritimes, uh, the better, you know, it's, it's a big tent. It's uh, it's, we want everybody to be out and participate and, and continue to grow the community because, you know, jujitsu has, has changed, you know, our lives for the better. Um, say so there's not a day that uh, goes by that I don't leave um, the mats either at the club or at the, at a tournament where I don't go home feeling inspired and thinking about, you know, what's the next thing we can do to help, uh, you know, kind of grow this thing. So, um, you know, the, all I can say is we've got nothing but love and gratitude for, uh, for the people in, uh, in the Maritimes because they inspire us all the time. And, and our legitimate hope is that we can just continue to bring something um, that a excites people to get out and compete, but two motivates them and, and inspires them to kind of come out and, and have a venue to go showcase their skills because um, you know, the people who are, are out there today, like they're all the leaders of tomorrow is as cliche as it is, but you know, you look at the amount of youth that are competing today and, you know, in 10 years, there's going to be a pile more black belts um, floating around than there are right now. Um, and in say jujitsu has been a force for good for so many people. Um, anything we can do to help spread that gospel is, uh, is a good thing. So I say anybody who's ever rolled with me, anybody who'd ever liked to roll with me, I love you all. And um, I look forward to seeing y'all soon. Awesome, man. Yeah, jiu-jitsu, it's, it definitely feels like a pay-it-forward type of thing where, you know, if you're just going to really get out of it what you put into it. But, yeah, that's awesome, man. Like, um, can't wait for the next one. I'll always be a supporter of, of you guys and, and everything you're doing. I can't wait to to compete and, and help out it however I can. But, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll probably be seeing you uh, October 9th, Chris. But uh, until then, uh, you know, 
take care of yourself. Keep training hard, and um, and we'll see you then, bro. Yeah, you as well, brother. You uh, you and yours stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks a lot, bro. Have a good night. All right, man. Cheers. Take care. Bye.